Hi, my name's Hudson, and I'm a geoholic. Let's do this. Thank you for listening to episode 29 of The Geoholics, a podcast produced by and for geomatics professionals, also known as the Mark Andre Fleury episode. Fleury. Caught you off guard on that one. You know what I didn't realize after doing some research? 29 is like a very, the most common number for goalies in the NHL. Is it? So do they... That, like every starter wears 29 or almost not every starter but just like throughout history it's kind of oh, been okay. the, uh, the given number for goalies so it's kind of interesting Legacy. uh don't forget to join the geoholics fan club for every 10 bucks you donate to the geoholics gofundme account you'll receive a geoholics wristband and have your name mentioned on the next podcast that opening number is uh something new if you've listened to other episodes you haven't heard that song before it's marcus king and the name of that song is the well Marcus hails from Greenville, South Carolina, and he and his band produced music best described as a contemporary exploration of classic rock, blues, Southern R&B, and country soul. The latest album is titled El Dorado. Uh, it's actually produced by Dan Arbeck of the Black Keys, and it's available, of course, on Spotify, Apple Music, all the, uh, the, the audio outlets that there are. YouTube videos are awesome. Check out the website, marcuskingband.com. And, uh, yeah, I think you're going to like them. Shout out to our friends of the program. Thanks for believing in us and your continued support is much appreciated. Bad Elf GPS. Check out the Bad Elf Flex GNSS receiver. Uh, I know we say each and every week this thing's a game changer. It really is. I mean, for the price point, it's like for under $5,000, you can have a survey grade RTK receiver. Check it out at bad-elf.com forward slash flex. And we also want to recognize Land Surveyors United, Justin Farrow. I don't want to spoil the surprise, but Justin is our guest tonight. Justin has created a unique web-based community of over 17,000, that's right, 17,000 surveyors and geomatics professionals from all over the globe. I'm not going to talk too much about this one because we'll get it straight from the horse's mouth, but check out that website, landsurveyorsunited.com. And we've got, uh, of course, Unifly. So Scott O'Hanna and his team have a big announce coming, big announcement coming, um, a new UAV that they're testing out. So, of course, you're going to go visit Unifly, that's U-N-I-F-L-I dot arrow, um, to go ahead and find out more about that. Um, moving forward, too, we've got our Parkland College Land Surveying Program. It's going to be in Champaign, Illinois. So Corey and all of his staff have developed a dynamic program uh, it's going to be suited for anyone interested in furthering their career as a land surveying professional. So that's going to be at parkland.edu slash surveying. Good job, producer Jake. Nicely done. Um, with that, you've, I mean, you can probably notice by now, Big Shoots is not with us this evening. Uh, he's come down with something. I'm not quite sure what. We're not going to, we're not going to say speculate. Yeah. We're not going to speculate. Yeah. But uh, we're fully remote this evening, so bear with us a little bit, meaning I'm in my home office, Jake's in his home office, and Justin, our guest this evening, is in his home office. So this is the first time we've done this. Hopefully it goes well. And with that, let's catch up with, I usually say the fellas, but tonight it's just the fella. 
So, producer Jake, what's new, man? Hey, guys. Yeah, I'm doing good. Just uh, all this quarantine stuff and is pretty crazy and just kind of laying low. This past weekend, we um, actually just stayed inside. We Almost the entire weekend, I think I left my house once. But So we've been checking out Netflix, and there's this new show. Everyone's watching TV right now. And there is this new show, and you guys absolutely have to check it out. I don't think I've been, like, so, like, focused, but, like, just so interested in something like this. You got to check out Tiger King on Netflix. It's this docu-series. I think there's maybe eight, seven, eight episodes or so about this guy who lives in Oklahoma. He's got all 200 plus big cats living there. He owns like this private zoo and it is a crazy, crazy story. Every episode just gets even more bizarre. Every episode trumps the episode before that. So if you got some time being hanging home right now, you gotta check this out. Um, it, it, it's the show of the year so far for me, at least. And I've been, everyone, everyone I know I've been texting say, you gotta get on this and check it out. So it's a pretty cool show. Have you watched any of it? <laughs> As a matter of fact, I have one more episode left. What do you think so far? Oh my God, what a shit show. It is, <laughs> I, I, words can't even describe it, honestly. I mean, you did not undersell it, I can tell you that. So anybody out there is looking for something to check out on Netflix, uh, I think it's like seven episodes or about an hour yeah. a piece. So <clears throat> if you can uh, carve out about eight hours or so uh, and just kind of blast through the thing, it is a great <laughs> Great series, unlike anything I've ever watched before, just like uh, producer Jake said. Yeah, perfect. What else have you been up to since you've been hunkering well, down inside? Yeah, it's um, I, I've gone to the office like every other day for a couple hours just to kind of stay on top of some stuff. I don't know that I'm going to go back the rest of the week, though. I mean, things are getting a little dicey, so I think I'm just going to take heat and probably uh, probably uh, settle down in the house for the next few days. Um, but with that, the lovely Megan and I, we, we picked a great time to uh, take up intermittent fasting, which has worked out really well. Uh, I'm down about 10 pounds. I think Megan's down about 10 or 12 pounds as well. And it's great because you only eat like once a day. You know, the window's open from like three to eight or whatever. So um, it saved us some money for sure as far as groceries go and things like that. So that couldn't work out any better. Uh, Big Shoots, he, uh, I inherited a kegerator from Big Shoots. Got that home last week after the episode, and uh, the next day, lovely Megan and I went out and got some cleaning solution and got a keg, and that thing's flowing like uh, like water, so it's it's great. Next time you come over, producer Jake, we'll uh, we'll we'll drink from the spigot. How's that? Sounds great. What would you end up putting in the keg? I uh, we got a keg of Anchor Steam, as a matter of fact. What do you, do you, do you like go to Total Wine for something like that or a local brewery? Yeah, we went to, what's the name of it? Oh, it's a place in Tempe there. I can't remember the name of it. Tops, Tops, that's what it is. And they just okay, have, a, yeah. they've got like a menu of all their kegs and that's probably one of the best places to go because it's got like, they got like a hundred different kegs, you know, mm-hmm. um, stuff, everything you can imagine they have. But, you know, we just got the little torpedo keg. So according to, uh, to Megan, it's about 60, 60 pints. So it should last us at least through the weekend. Yeah, at least with being home and everything. Yeah, yeah. I got some other things in my mind, but I'll we'll talk about it more with our with our guests. I'm sure I'll have some good perspective on this stuff. But um, other than that, let's move on to the safety share. Moving right along here, boys. This is great. Safety. This is the uh, of course the safety apparel safety share. Matthew Stansberry um, and and his team. They've they've literally reinvented the uh, the safety vest. Uh, they have a, a vest called the Party Chief. It is by far the best quality 
uh, safety vest you're going to find. My guys wear them. Um, and you, you just flat out can't beat them. I mean, they, they've, they've got it figured out. So if you guys are in the market for uh, new vests, please visit safetyapparel.us to find out more. Safety Share tonight, it, it still touches on some COVID-19 stuff, but this goes a little bit deeper. It's um, mental health, like how, how this situation is and could affect us, you know, from a mental health standpoint. I, there, it, whether or not you want to admit it, I mean, some people are feeling it more than others right now, but it creates a whole different level of stress. And, you know, I, I look at myself and whether or not I want to admit that I feel stressed, I mean, stress is, stress is a really funny thing. They, they, they don't call it the silent killer for no reason. Um, you know, you, you, a couple things that you might notice, you're going to feel really anxious, um, not only about your health, but about, you know, the health of your loved ones. You know, if you have older parents or something like that, you know, you may not be thinking about it consciously all the time, but subliminally, I guarantee you, there's some concern and there's some worry in the back of your mind. That all leads to stress. Um, there's going to be disruptions in your eating and sleeping patterns. And you're gonna have trouble falling asleep most likely and staying focused and you know in some cases partaking in more alcohol tobacco or drug use than under normal situations just because of the stress that you're under and that's just as an adult so think about it if, if you have young kids and the stress that that they're under you know they're no longer they don't kids kids perform best under a routine and that has gone to shit right now you know, no longer are kids going to school in most, if not all states, you know, they're, they're basically quarantined at home and parents are having to stay home and, and, uh, and provide homeschooling and stuff. And it's just, it's crazy. It, it has just changed our lives completely. But in, in, in a child's case, some things you can look for, or, or depending on the age of the child, of course, is they might be, you know, crying or more, or just being really cranky, um, you know, being worried or sad. I mean, let's face it. Kids, you know, they may not fully understand it, but they understand that something is not right at home and just in their lives in general. Uh, they may act out, you know, especially if they're, if they're teenagers. Um, in being homeschooled, that's another change, of course, and they may resist and not want to do that and have trouble staying focused. Um, you know, maybe even losing interest in activities they once enjoyed. And again, depending on the age of the kid, they could turn to using alcohol, tobacco, or drugs. You know, you, you, you hate to see that, you never know. But this is, um, this is uprooted everybody and everybody to different levels. Got anything to say there, Jake? Yeah, I mean, uh, we were talking about some things. now, right? 100%? Uh, not quite yet in a couple days, oh. but we were kind of chit-chatting about it in the office and making that transition. We were kind of sending out some things about what you can do to stay on top of something like that. Because working from home is it's it's something completely different. And one thing that I found was kind of interesting is when you talk about working from home, people, I mean, one of the first things people say, you know, whether to be funny or not, is say, oh, that'd be great. I'll just get up. Don't even have to take a shower. Just, just be right in my pajamas all day. Um, but I read a couple of things online and a couple of things that they were showing us is they were actually showing that like one of the worst things you can do if you are working from home, especially for an extended period of time, is to stay in your pajamas and something like that. Um, it might sound like a good idea at first, but maybe by the third, fourth day, like those can start to take a toll on you, right? We were just talking about routines. Um, they actually said one of, one of the best things you can do is just get up, shower like you're normally, like you get to the office, put on the same clothes that you'd be putting on um, as if you're going into the office and kind of just like proceed with your day as normal as it kind of, if you were going to the office. Um, 
because obviously your schedule has been disrupted so much. So you want to make sure you can keep as much of it the same um, that, that you can control. So I thought that was interesting, especially because people so often talk about, oh, I'll just hang out in my pajamas or like put my computer in my bed and something like that. And that's really, as the time goes on, it can really have some negative um, implications, um, especially yeah, if it's no. extended period of time. Yep, no doubt. Good, all good points. And one thing I, you know, when I have gone to the office, it's so interesting because, I mean, obviously traffic's like nothing now. You know, my yeah. commute is actually enjoyable compared to, you know, me taking an hour in traffic. I get the office in like 20 minutes. You know, it, it's completely different. And I was talking to somebody today, as a matter of fact, and they were saying that, you know, you never know. I mean, this, this to some degree could be the new normal meaning that people may come to realize they can be just as productive, if not more in some cases, working from home, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not for everybody. You have to be very disciplined. You know, you mentioned some really good points. Don't get up and stay in your pajamas all day or whatever. I mean, get up and take a shower and get motivated to go and then just do your, do your work. Um, I personally, when I work from home and even before this, I mean, I, I tried to do it like at least one day a week just because I guess I'm one of those people that can be very productive at home. Um, in fact, I get more done. Like if I spend a day at home, I get more done in that day and get caught up on so many different things. So I just don't have the distractions that I have at the office that it works for me. And with less cars in the road, of course, and you've seen it in China, you've seen it in LA, you've seen it in, in, in Phoenix, the, uh, the air quality or the pollution is, it's changed completely. It's amazing. You know, I mean, I've saw, I've seen pictures taken in China, you know, from before and, and currently it's amazing that, you know, the, 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 how clear the air is. And here in Arizona, I've noticed it. And yeah, I've seen pictures in LA too. So that might be something positive that comes out of this. You never know. You never know. Um, yeah. We'll talk, more, we'll talk more about that. Let's get our, uh, let's get our guest on the line here. So our guest tonight is Justin Farrow. Many of you listening probably know Justin. He is a self-proclaimed web wizard and the developer of the aforesaid Land Surveyors United uh, online communities. And of course, that's landsurveyorsunited.com. <clears throat> Excuse me, Justin was born in Greenville and grew up in Charleston, South Carolina. And he, uh, very well-educated, attended College of Charleston, where you got a bachelor's in philosophy and a second bachelor's, I guess, in anthropology. And also attended University of South Florida Patel College of Global Sustainability for grad school, where he's got a couple of master's degrees, one's in entrepreneurship and another in global sustainability. And I believe his focus was on sustainable tourism and climate science. Justin loves photography, but most of his spare time goes into his online community, Lance Bears United, and building apps. Can confirm, Justin built the Geoholics, a freaking kick-ass app. And of course, that app is available on the website. Not much of a sports guy, but his grandfather used to play for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And this is kind of cool. He went to middle school and high school with Dante Culpepper. Justin's worked in and around the Serbian industry his entire life, which we're going to find out more about. His dad had a repographic shop and sold survey equipment since before he was born. Justin, thank you so much for being here with us. Oh, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Hearing you guys talk about. Uh, having to work from home because with the exception of about maybe three years, 2014, 15, and 16, I've worked at home since 2007. So uh, it does take a lot of discipline. 
and it and it's and it's interesting like i was thinking about this yesterday you really don't know how self-isolated you are until something like this happens i communicate with people all around the world all day but i don't i never really thought about myself as being isolated or self-isolated i just work i'm more productive at home and uh those the three years that i didn't work at home i was a webmaster at the college uh when i was in grad school so it was kind of like i mean i was doing the same thing there that i was doing at home and it just my productivity just boosted when i got when i started working at home exclusively but yeah yeah it's so interesting i mean for what you do and you could probably do 95 percent of your job from right there where you're sitting mm -hmm. um and I mean, I'm the same way. I'm in a management position. I could probably do about 80% of my job from my home office. But of course, there's some meetings. But even with that, with Skype and Zoom and stuff like that, I mean, technology is an amazing thing. I mean, you just got to take full advantage of it, of course. So let's let's find out a little bit more about you. I think there's probably a lot of people that are going to listen to this that, that know you. I mean, I've just gotten to know you over the course of the last probably four months or so. And, uh, you know, you've been super supportive of us i mean you developed the app for us and just the stuff you've done on the website uh can't thank you enough for that first and foremost i want to make sure we get that out of the way um but you know i, I kind of i listed off the different degrees that you have i mean you're a very well educated individual what um i mean did you i mean you had to probably consider at some point doing something else besides what you're doing not that you're not super successful doing what you're doing but with that education, I'm just curious, you know, what kind of, how this all materialized? Well, the end goal is I have about a year left of a PhD and a dissertation, and I'm hoping to finish with a PhD in applied anthropology so I can teach college. But uh, this all kind of came about, um, you know, as far as the Land Surveyors United stuff and how it aligns with my education, it really doesn't, except for in the case of anthropology, because um, when the 2008 crisis happened, economic crisis in the U.S., my dad, I had been living in New York for about six years, uh, and I had come down to visit and didn't realize exactly what my dad was up against and all i've been doing uh is up in new york i was a real estate broker and i used social media very heavily probably the only social media savvy real estate agent back in that, that time but uh when i came down to visit my dad he was like you know I, he sold surveying equipment and i said well the only real way that i can help you tackle this situation is by building you a website, setting you up a store and trying to change the dynamics of who it is that you're servicing and who you're helping. And so he was very skeptical. Um, I started setting up a eBay store, had some challenges with that. Um, but while setting up the eBay store, I realized that so many surveyors would come to the eBay store to ask me questions about the pieces of equipment that were on there that I needed a place to host all this support material and to try to help my dad's customers uh, find what they needed to work their old equipment. A lot of people can't afford new equipment. So, you know, I've, I realized that um, 
a surveyor's best friend is really actually another surveyor who's used that equipment. Because if you go to a, a dealer, they're going to tell you to call the manufacturer. The manufacturer is going to tell you to call the dealer. The dealer is going to try to sell you something newer, better, and more expensive. And uh, when you're having an economic downturn like that, you really just want to use the equipment that you got. And then the other, the flip side of that was jobs. Everybody's out of a job. How can I start using what I knew to curate jobs and create like a pool of, of available jobs all the time? Now, this is 2008 and 2009 when I first started doing this. And uh, you fast forward to now and I'm still doing the same thing. I'm still trying to help surveyors find jobs except for it's a lot more sophisticated than I do matching people and, and pulling jobs from multiple places. But um, I just kind of realized, I mean, if you, look at, if you look at surveyors compared to engineers, lawyers, uh, the, the public thinks of a surveyor as a trade when really it's a, it's a profession. You know, the trade, they think about a surveyor in terms of like, oh, this guy he measures boundaries and does construction activities. And that sounds like a trade, but it, and it, and it's the things that you're taught in school about becoming a surveyor. You're really expected to know a lot less to graduate school than you are when you get into the field. And so the dynamics of how uh, a field crew can either work well together or uh, <laughs> implode, based on, you know, knowledge gap, age gap, all of those dynamics that are happening in the field. Um, that became very important to me because I, I realized that, you know, as a, as a little kid, backing it up, as a little kid working in a blueprint shop, since I could sit up straight, I've probably run a million blueprints and sold surveying equipment. But these guys would come in to the, to the office and they would say, oh, I'm trying to get this fixed on my equipment or this, and I'm having this problem. And then it'll be somebody from a completely different company would come in and they would start talking and solve a problem. It's like a forum going on right there in, in the office. And that kind of made an impression on me, I guess, because later in life when I'm building a community for surveyors for which there was really no global culture of surveying um, when I first started doing this, um, people would tell me, why are you trying to build a community for surveyors? They don't really like each other in the real world. You know, why, why do you think they're going to want to come in here and talk to each other? Well, you know, for, for me, I felt like there were more similarities than differences. Maybe I was naive a little bit in thinking that. When I first started doing this, I had no idea how it was going to unfold. My dad and I were like, oh, this is this is going to be great. We're about to get a hundred members, da, da, da. And you know, these guys are coming in from these countries and they're, they're being nice to each other and they're, they're actually helping one another. Or, you know, somebody in the field would be like, Oh, you couldn't answer that question for me in person, but you're willing to sit here and type out an answer for me. That's awesome. People are learning to work together. So that enthusiasm for seeing those results is kind of what kept me going uh, with this. And, you know, today it's like, it's always running in the background of my mind. I'm sure. Like I can actually sense when there's like somebody waiting to be approved for their membership. You know, it's weird. Yeah. But, uh, you do, you do anything 17,000 times and you're gonna, 
<laughs> develop some sort of a weird sense for it, but yeah. you know. So as far as the website goes, let's, let's, while we're on that topic, let's dig a little bit deeper into it. So, I, I, so you started out, I mean, I, I would love to see the progression of the website. I, I only know it now or over the course of the last year or so, and it is unbelievable. I mean, the amount of resources that are incorporated in that website is mind-blowing. And I, I said it in a previous episode, I'm like, this is a website where every surveyor, honestly, could go on there every single day and learn something new, find another resource for an answer to a question they had. I, it's unbelievable. It truly is unbelievable. And at some point, I'm like, I, it's almost, almost, there's so much on there, it's almost overwhelming, you yeah. know? So, but I'm curious, I'm curious about a lot of things, but as far as the website goes, you have a global community. Literally, you probably have servers from every country, every in, country. The world, in the world. <clears throat> How do you find that interaction? I mean, I, when I go to the website and I see the way some of these international surveyors interact, and I, I, I don't mean to, I don't want this to be a negative, but it just seems like these international surveyors are so much more willing to help each other out, to yes. provide, to share knowledge. Is that, am I correct in that? Oh yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. In fact, um, you can really almost, or I do, I consider, and, and not this isn't negative at all. It's just the way that it is. I consider there to be United States land surveyors, and then there's everybody else. And you know, Europe, they they come together in a certain way. Asian surveyors help each other in a certain way. By far the most helpful and uh, surveyors in the world I have found are African surveyors and Indian surveyors because they, they take their, they take their uh, profession so seriously, but they don't take themselves so seriously. And so uh, they're, they're freely willing. These, these guys sit in their spare time and make videos for how to do things. And then they, when they get enough of them, they come to me and say, hey, can, you, can we pull these into your site? Because I wanna you know, reach a, a greater audience. Of course, that's what I do. I, I, like, I like to have representation from every culture in every uh, country because there was a time when I was first starting to try to help my dad and uh, it seemed to me like United States land surveyors lived kind of in a bubble, in a bubble the size of their state. And they never saw a need to really discuss uh, surveying topics with surveyors from other states because they're like, what's the use? They, have, they follow different laws, da, da, da. But if you took two pictures of the same guy, of two different guys using the same piece of equipment on a similar terrain, and you realize there's a lot of similarities and anything can go wrong with either scenario, and both of these guys can help one another if 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 uh, if that happens. So, the reason why the sheer size of the community is because uh, I have taken, I think, kind of the opposite approach of what most every other surveying site has ever tried to do, and that is, I I try to make it inclusionary instead of trying to make it exclusive. Because the exclusivity really only works for a website that is 100% um, geared towards selling advertising. 
you know? And you'd notice on Lancer Veers United, there are no ads. I've experimented with ads along the way, but um, I've realized that it takes away from the experience of the surveyor and, uh, and clever marketers try to figure out ways to inject their ads for new equipment right there when this guy's trying to solve his old equipment, old equipment problem. So the other thing I try to do is allow every type of equipment to have its own targeted place inside the site. So if you're using Trimble equipment or Leica equipment, you go into those hubs to ask your questions because everybody in that hub uses the same type of equipment. And so um, same with the countries, you know, countries and states, they all have their own hubs. We call them hubs because hubs tie things together. And uh, inside a hub, any hub, you can pull in videos, photos, discussions, blogs, events, podcasts, anything about that topic. And so what I do or have done over time is the most active surveyors, I put them in charge of their own local hub and they can use it to bring in uh, people in their crew to share relevant information with, you know, with what's going on in their state or country, but also let them, I hope in five years from now that I have a hundred other surveyors out there that feel as in control of the community as I do, because I'm like the man behind the curtain, you know, like I'm not a, I'm not in there answering surveyors' questions for them. I mean, unless they're asking for a manual that, like, you, with a simple search, you can't find it. But with an advanced search, I can find it. I'll help them with that. But other than that, I just try to keep the wheels greased. And uh, our, our Facebook page has, like, 55,000 followers. And then we have a group with about 36,000. So I don't ask anybody to join. I don't, I don't send out mass waves of invites and stuff. I let you organically find the community and I just highlight new things that are going on. And I've done that for quite some time, especially since my dad passed away because I had to reevaluate. He, he passed away in uh, 2015 and um, I had to reevaluate whether or not I was going to sell the community. No, I keep it up, enhance it, make it better. That's the way I went. I mean, I had two companies try to buy the, the site from me, but the first thing they wanted to do was shut down all of the other manufacturers' hubs. They just wanted to be the only, and I'm like, that defeats the purpose. I'd rather, I'd rather it, you know, outlive me than to have it become pigeonholed. And sure. so, um, and uh, about three to 500 surveyors a year find jobs through there. So, like for them, when they write me, I, I had a guy, I was at the Florida Surveying and Mapping Conference this time last year, and I had a guy come up to me, and he put his arms around me, and he said, I have found my past five jobs through your website. He saw the logo on my shirt, and he was like, you know, if it weren't for you, who knows how I'd be supporting my family? And that kind of stuff is like, Mm, I'd never, I mean, I didn't even recognize his name. I mean, they, when you got that many people to deal with names are like, especially when, if they have, they're not an American name, it's, you know, I don't ever try to <laughs> pronounce it. I don't want to pronounce it incorrectly, but it is kind of like a river people writing me and I'm like, Oh, well, I'm so glad that that worked for you. And then they tell 
three or four people. And then, you know, so it just kind of organically continues to spread out. Well, I mean, you're, you're like, you're a great facilitator and you have the best interest of the profession in mind. There's no doubt about it. So the key is finding like-minded individuals to represent their states or their countries or whatever that share that same passion and are willing to, you know, pick up what, what you've started for them and, and run with it and, and, and use it. Um, and really the sky's the limit. There's, you have created something so amazing. And I, the amount of work that has gone into that is to me being a lay person, not knowing how, what it takes to put something like that together. I'm just blown away. And one thing that fascinates me, and I want to circle back a little bit to international surveyors and, you know, their attitude towards each other. And I also think that we can take it one step further and probably say that land surveying in general as a profession is held to a little bit higher regard internationally than it is here in the States. And I think a lot of that is humility, right? And these international surveyors show great humility. They're very transparent. They wanna you know, share their knowledge, share things they figured out. They're not afraid to ask questions. Whereas a lot of surveyors here are just, and maybe it's a generational thing, you know, but very prideful, you know, very, um, <clears throat> there's only one way to do it and it's my way type thing. Um, it's just, it's, it's fascinating to me. It really is. And do you see that same type thing? I do. And, uh, and sometimes it is unfortunately uh, very clear why uh, American surveyors have such a hard time um, asking a question in an open forum uh, because in the United States, a lot of a lot of surveyors in the back of their mind, I feel like they fear what kind of scrutiny they're going to get from fellow surveyors or other surveyors outside the state for asking a question that they should know the answer to, but nobody knows all the answers. So when you ask a question and you push that publish button, the thought goes through your mind. Is someone, when I go to sleep tonight, is somebody going to come along and say, hey, that's a garbage question and you shouldn't be licensed in your state for asking that question. You should know that. And that happens. That's what we call a flame war. And those flame wars end up getting people, uh, get their license taken away from them, cause problems with their state board. I mean, I, I know three surveyors right now, all in the same state facing this kind of problem. Uh, whereas somebody comes along and thinks that they know more, then they call into question the legitimacy of, of what they're doing and stuff. And then it, it, it becomes a, a real threat to your livelihood. So there's that. And I think in other states, especially, or in other countries, especially like places like Africa, where boundaries shift so so frequently, things are always, you know, the it, just having a body of surveyors working together under an umbrella is something that they're very prideful for. And they wanna keep spreading that to the ends of the earth. Whereas a lot of guys in the surveying industry in the United States, they feel insulated. They're, they're like, you know, they don't really have a need to ask a guy in France any questions. They don't feel. But a guy in France is going to say, oh, let's see what the American surveyors think about this. Yeah. And it just doesn't work that way both. Uh, and it's, 
Um, I think it's a lot, a lot has to do with peer review and how, uh, how your colleagues might perceive you asking a question. You might go your whole career, never ask a question, be doing it wrong the whole time. Yep. And on the flip side of that, you may be doing something that you think you're the only one doing it until you talk to someone else and you realize, shit, we've been doing that for 10 years, you know? So it's like, and until you put them in, in a room together or a virtual room together, they, you, no one really knows how much they don't know. Yeah. And so creating a place like this where I'm constantly, constantly thinking about ways to curate another resource, how to make something more uh, compact or how to, how to pack more choices into a single post or how to, how to uh, keep everybody moving along. And sometimes people will write me and say, you know what, you were reading my mind. I was actually researching this last night and then I wake up today and here's a post. <laughs> and it's like, I wasn't reading your mind. I just see the relevance of this and this. And I hope that, that it's relevant to you. Uh, and it seems like, I mean, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And surveyors here in the States are so quick to judge. And again, I think it goes back, I mean, I, it probably all goes back to mentoring, honestly. You know, there's a lot of surveyors out there that haven't benefited from having a rock solid mentor. So they've kind of felt their way through the profession, right? Or maybe they didn't have the best mentor. And I, I see it every single day, like on Facebook. I mean, you're very active on Facebook, obviously. And, you know, there's uh, pages like the field crew, let's say. That page has so much potential, it's unbelievable. But it's amazing to me. I, I mean, I, I read a ton of posts on that Facebook page. I don't respond to any, but I read it. It's such a great resource, honestly, for us, for the show. There's a lot of information on there and just to see different perspectives on things. But it's amazing to me when somebody posts something up there in the form of a question, how many people are so quick to jump on that person and make them feel like an idiot? You know, like people talking about their greenhorns and this and that and their pieces of shit and what am I going to do with this guy and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like pulling my hair out over this. Like, come on, guys. This is our problem. This is a problem. And, and would they ever do something like that in person? It's like just like it goes with like the like being anonymous behind the internet or something like that. To, to say something like that to someone, you, they would never say something like that to them if they saw them in person, right? Like. You can hide behind this screen and this keyboard and, and get away with something, right? It's interesting. When that particular group came about, I my group, uh, the Land Surveyors United closed group, was actually starting to become too big, and there were a lot of international. I mean, I think probably 40% of everybody in there is like India, Nepal. Um, and so... I started seeing these little groups pop up outside that all the people that run the field crew, they're all part of Land Surveyors United too, but the field crew, uh, I think that's Michael Platt. Michael really Platt, yeah. Guy, very educated, very experienced yeah. surveyor. Great guy. I, I, love, I love reading the, the pieces of information that he puts out for everybody to digest. But then all of a sudden there was this one came about called uh, American Surveyor, a group that it started called American Surveyor. So I joined it. I was like, I'm sorry, I, I just, just to get clarification, do you mean North America or South America? And 
the moderator immediately bounced me out. Like, and then another moderator came along and was like, do you know who that was that you just deleted out of here? Like, that's probably our best chance at like getting some traction with this group, you know, and you just bounced him and you just looked very racist for doing that. And I'm like, well, it really, to me, everybody's the same. And I mean, that's probably cause of anthropology, it, you know, so much anthropology training. And that's the lens that I look through is, you know, um, social acceptedness is a lot, you know, you, you can gain that by sharing information and knowledge and you can show that you belong part of a group or you can come in and show your ignorance and uh, not get very, very good feedback, but then you ruin the experience for yourself overall. And like, like Jake just said, would they do that in person? <laughs> I doubt it because, you know, it's like an armchair quarterback. You know, you're not really playing football, but you're going to try to call all the plays. And that's, you know, it's, it just, the line gets really blurred. Mm -hmm. I had a great mentor when I, I was also a surveyor. Uh, when I finished high school, I finished school and uh, became a surveyor. And my, my mentor, his name was Lindy Corley. He's still alive. Great guy. Surfer. Lives in Charleston, South Carolina. Actually lives out in Wabalaw Island. Great guy. And uh, they put me with him. All the other crews were three and four person crews, but they put me with Lindy as a two person crew. And the first day he said, you know how to work one of those things? Show me this old Sakia total station. I was like, no, I don't have the slightest clue. He said, well, you're going to start learning it today. And so he showed me what he knew. And then after about day two, he was like, you're going to have to figure out the rest of this. Here's the manual. And I'm gonna run the rod, and I'm gonna and I'm gonna run the bush axe. The guy was like, built, you know, like. Mm. But he never talked down to me. He never told me that I was doing something wrong. He would always ask me, "Now, if I were to tell you that this is wrong, why do you think that would be?" You know, and he and he handled things like that. And mm -hmm. so when I learned that total station, and then they gave me another one, and I learned that one too. He was like, "Kid, you need to." stop surveying you need to go back to school because if you can learn this stuff this quick like you don't have no business out here at my age swinging a bush axe cutting line you need to do something with your mind so uh i'll give you the short 50 cent version one day i was out in uh on this the piece of land that is now where they have firefly vodka uh distillery out there but it used to be an abandoned state it was a, a state park that had never been turned into a park, but it was an old tea farm. And I got chased by three 14 foot alligators out of a nest uh, one day. And if, if my party chief that I was with that day didn't have a shotgun with me, I'd be, I'd be dead. But uh, next day I went back to college and I got a job working at a hotel downtown in Charleston and the rest is history. And then you circle back to 2007 and I was like, well, I know surveying equipment enough to try to help build a store, maybe the community, but uh, I had no, I had no idea that I would still be doing this after 14 years. That's a very common story. It's like once you get into this profession, it somehow like gets in your blood and it's, it's hard to get away from it, to be honest with you. Not that you necessarily want to in a lot of cases, but, you know, I, 
I go back to the mentoring thing. I was very fortunate to have a amazing mentor right out of college. You know, my degree was in architecture. Um, and I, I started working for this guy and he was like the father of surveying in Southern Illinois. Right. And I was very fortunate to have worked under his tutelage for about 12 years. And that set me off in the right direction. So I owe all my success to Ed Reader was his name. And, um, you know, I, I wouldn't have progressed through this profession if it wasn't for him. There's no doubt about it. And it's just, it's frustrating. You know, I mean, now, I mean, and we, we all know this, you know, the average age of, the, of a surveyor in the United States is like 60 years old, right? I'm 52. But the funny thing is I go to these conferences, I go to these seminars and stuff like that. I'm still one of the younger guys in the room, which is very, very concerning. So if we find these young guys that, what's that? Why do you think that is? It's, it's our own fault. It's our own fault as a profession. I mean, we've done a terrible job promoting ourselves and we continue to do so. I mean, we want to be held in high regard. You know, we're, you know, we're like attorneys, we're like doctors, we're like this. Well, we need to act like that then, quite honestly. And we have surveyors as a president since Lincoln. So the public doesn't understand what a surveyor is until they've already, a lot of times until they've already done something wrong and need a surveyor to come and sort it out. And then at that time, they hire them and they don't realize that a surveyor isn't an advocate for the public. And they, they say, oh, well, I hired you. You should be able to tell me that my neighbor's fence is in my yard or, or you know, that I'm right. And then they, they don't realize that. So it's like the, the understanding of what a surveyor is, is directly affected by the fact that a lot of the older surveyors aren't really willing yeah. to try to start their career over in their mind to try to yeah. learn this new technology. They just expect the quote unquote, the worst thing you could ever call somebody in my opinion, a button pusher. Yep. As it assumes that they have no idea what they're doing in the field and that the knowledge of surveying belongs exclusively to the older guy. Whereas the new guy is like, you know what, old man, I can show you how to work this fancy data collector if you would just tell me what's going on in your mind and let's try to mesh these ideas. There's none of that going on. It's like, you know, the older guy is like, you need to go back to school. You didn't, where did you go to school for survey? It's always this demeaning thing. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's how it's, it's weird. It's like, maybe that's how you preserve in your mind some sort of ideological hierarchy like i will always be your boss because i'm older or maybe it's a way of saying this is job security for me not to tell you what i know Mm -hmm. know, these kinds of things all of that stuff just seems like communication errors that yeah yeah and we we need to be you know as um you know i've been doing it for 30 years and there's a, a you know thousands of other people out there just like myself. I mean, we need to be paying it forward. We need to be you know not only promoting the profession as much as we can, but when we get a young person, you know, in our midst that is motivated and wants to learn. I mean, those guys are like gold, and that's the future of the profession. And if we miss out on those opportunities, it's on us, unfortunately. And you know, the thing is, deregulation is a real issue. And it's come up in Arizona a number of times. I know it's come up in, in other states as well. And if we don't play our cards right, and the surveyors don't have a strong voice, engineers have a strong voice, architects have a strong voice. In a lot of cases, we're riding on their coattails. 
But it's good. there's going to come a time where land surveying gets deregulated. I'm not sure where, where, what state it's going to happen in first, but it's going to happen. And when it does, quite honestly, it's our own fault because we're allowing it to happen. Yeah. And, you know, I could talk about that all night, and I don't want to continue to spin a negative. Meeting, every chapter yeah. meeting, yep. every, every organizational meeting, there's always a component of it that could be uh, that could be broadcast just like what we're doing right here. And so like inside the hubs, for example, it, there's no reason why there should be somebody at the door counting people coming in and saying, oh, this was a successful or a bomb of a meeting. Yeah. You know, yeah. it should be streamed and people who can't make it can still get the information and still be a part and still yeah. have their votes counted and all that stuff. But we have, we use the, surveyors use the most sophisticated equipment available to civilians. Mm -hmm. This right here is like your four-year-old could, could do it yep. with a little bit of practice, but they don't want to wrap their mind around it. Yep. It's, it's like, it's too, it's asking too much of them to do less than what they're doing. And, yep. you know, it could really create a great impact. I mean, with National Surveyors Week last week, we had an opportunity yeah. to stream all of those canceled meetings. We could have streamed all of those meetings into the hubs. The people that needed to be there would see it and not miss a beat. And then we could have said, hey, USA Today, look how advanced the surveyors are getting in dealing with this social distance. I mean, surveyors are social distancing masters. Mm -hmm. I yeah. mean, but, yeah. if, you know, it's, it's maybe more than anybody else. But to be able to do this is would actually make their jobs easier. And, and to have, a, or have a meetups where all the old guys are paired with all the new guys and, you know, some sort of common ground can be found, it would do amazing things for the industry and it recruit a lot of talent. I mean, my nephews, I, I'm training them to be admins and they just want to put their hands on the equipment. They just want to try, I'm going to try to use this 3D laser scanner, you know, and try to, you know, do... They're so excited about it. But when it comes down to like, oh, I've been asking around and I hear it's kind of hard to like get involved. And once you get out in the field, you know, the old guys don't really give you much of a break. They kind of ride you for a little while. It's like a hazing. And that is a deterrent. That's, that makes, you know, if you were going to become a dentist and you knew that the first year that you were a dentist, that the dentist is going to be in your mouth with some, you know, you're, you're probably <laughs> going to do something a little different, but yeah, no, you're right. You're right for sure. Um, so, you know, with the COVID-19 and, you know, you've mentioned 2007, 2008, a number of times, and even going back to like nine 11, I was in the survey industry and, you know, when, when that happened and how it changed in 2008, you know, you being in Florida, me being in the Southwest, probably two of the hardest hit areas in 2008, as far as surveying goes. Um, <clears throat> I don't know that what we're experiencing right now is as bad, but at the same time, when I think about it, I think it could be worse, to be honest with you. Um, the, the economic ripple effect of COVID-19 is going to go on for a very long time, and it's going to affect our profession. Um, I've already seen you know, posts on Facebook, like, I got furloughed, my hours got cut, 
uh, my salary got caught 20%, you know, this and that. And that's just going to continue to happen the longer this goes on. And it's not going to end tomorrow, that's for sure. So I'm not quite sure how the profession is going to rebound after this, and we can speculate. Um, but we need to somehow, we gotta, we got we to gotta be supportive because um, we're going to lose some really good people potentially. I don't know what's going to happen and how it's all going to shake out, but what are you seeing anything on, uh, you know, on, on the community side? I see a woe is me attitude. Um, and I see like, for me, I like to, I think of myself as a problem solver. If I can identify the problem, I can, you know, for every problem, there's three solutions. And if you're not going after one of those, then you're not finding a solution. And I see this, I see this actually as an opportunity for the surveying industry to use this time, this downtime, to create engaging content for younger surveyors to read and digest. And making that content search engine optimized in a way to where it, you know, it parallels with other similar, you know, if you're thinking of going into civil engineering, why not think about surveying, you know? So make, making that content optimized to be to show up for things other than if you're searching directly for land surveying creating some dazzling nice you know ads not really i, I think of them as more like art advertisements if it's something that grabs your eye it's it's the art part of it and make you know using this time to try to create interest and you know drum up some new entrance into the to the profession we don't know what is going to be three months down the road, but over the course of three months, you can attract a lot of new talent and put out some sort of, you know, uh, any kind of CST program is going to have multiple components to it. And, you know, probably 60% of those components can be taught just like this. And then the other 40% is the hard hitting part when you're in the field using the equipment, are you doing your internship, that kind of stuff? I mean, this is really an opportunity uh, more, than a, more than a deficit. But everybody in the community side, I see everybody just being like, oh, well, this, is, this sucks. It's, and it's woe is me. But yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's easy to fall into that rut. That's kind of like the path of least resistance, you know. I'm going to feel sorry for myself. What about um, – and this is just something that came to mind as you were as you were talking. And maybe you already have it set up on on, on the Land Surveyors United community. But what about like a, uh, a a virtual mentoring type hub? And you know you can set up set up mentoring on different topics and have different surveyors do just what we're doing. You know, I mean, I think there's there could be some real value there, and it might take a little while to get some traction, but. Um, I think that would be a, uh, like you mentioned, you know, during this downtime, especially, it might be something that, you know, could be, could be of great value. I mean, that's, there that's what I'll, mentors I'll and minions. Mentors and minions is a hub where it's like a split personality hub where one side of it is newer surveyors and the other side of it is older surveyors. And the topics are meant to be cross pollinated with, you know, mm different okay. kinds of opinions, but it's been kind of hard to push that kind of thing because there's still a lot of pushback. I don't think there's any pushback from the newer guys, but the older guys, there's a lot of pushback on 
uh, sharing what I guess in their minds they consider to be job security, mm-hmm. which just blows my mind because, you know, who are you leaving your knowledge to? Right. Exactly. Who are you, I mean, when, when you're gone, you in the pages of surveying history, what have you left? So that's why when I on the community, I always talk about somebody's profile as their legacy because mm-hmm. every photo you share, every video you share, every discussion, when you're gone, like when my dad was just gone one day, everything that he ever said and did to try to help another surveyor is still there. And, you know, two or three of the pages that he put up are still some of the highest traffic pages in the site because he was, you know, my dad was known to be a very straight shooter and he went out of his way to help support his, every customer of his was his buddy. You know I mean? It was like that. He just went out of his way to do that. And so one of the things that I've tried to do uh, lately, as far as the hubs are concerned is we've opened up, uh, marketplace hubs so that I can give vendors and software developers, people who sell equipment and supplies or inventions or sell books, give them the same experience that my dad had with being able to curate their own following and, you know, support them and, and, uh, offer specials and stuff to them and in a way build a friendship with all the members that they are, are able to attract and uh, give them the ability of, to socially sell and support what it is that they, that they uh, have for sale or the services they offer. And uh, that's going forward probably from now until December, I'm going to be focusing on making that a source of revenue for the site because I've removed ads from everywhere else. But if you've got you, you, if you're putting your stuff inside your hub and you're gaining followers, then, uh, for a small amount of month, I'm not going to track every product, every click that goes out, but just pay your rent on the hub and you can build it as big as you want. And, uh, we want to send between two and five surveyors to school every year. If we can mm-hmm. so I want to take a percentage of, of any revenue that we make from that and, put it back into helping surveyors go into school and uh, matching them up with mentors. Yeah. And I mean, dude, the, the sky's the limit, man. I mean, you've got such a good thing going there and you have so many great ideas. I mean, you're an absolute rock star and we got a good thing going. I, we got a good I, thing going in there. That's not a surveyor. I think of the community as belonging to everybody else. Yeah. Very good point. Very well said. Um, so if, if somebody wants to get a hold of you about any of the things you've discussed so far, um, what's the best way for them to do that? Justin.farrow at gmail. Um, or they can find me on Land Surveyors United as landsurveyorsunited.com forward slash surveyors forward slash Justin. And I'm, you know, you, 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 you kind of see my face will pop up in different places, mostly when I feature something or I, you know, do the administrative stuff, but I'm an open book and I like to help. I I love when people come to me with an idea that I haven't, you know, visualized or thought of because I build a lot of little apps. I build, you know, different things for surveyors to use in the field to make them feel like more part of a community. I try to, I try to uh, really socialize 
the topic of serving in a way that I don't, I don't, I mean, the only person that I can think of that uh, has really tried to do something similar was a guy named Mark Deal, hmm. uh, who, who started RPLS.com back mm-hmm. in 97. But, um, you know, trying to socialize this topic is a, it takes, a, it takes not just a village, it kind of takes an army. And so I'm really trying to get, identify that guy in Arkansas, that guy in Alaska, or that, or that girl in Alaska, or that, that guy in, uh, in Illinois who wants to be the administrator of their state and, and help pull all that together. Because every time one of those becomes under the control of, of, of a member, it's less things that I have to keep direct conscious attention on. And on yep. a site with more than a million pages, that's... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm, amazed, I'm amazed that I have hair. <laughs> but and there's there's such a huge opportunity there for somebody to step up and take control of that hub or whatever. Um, I mean, just a, a great opportunity to really, you know, influence the profession of serving and in, in their individual state. I mean, um, again, you know, if, if somebody listening and we've got listeners from every and well, it's, it's pretty cool because even on the the platform that we host our podcast on, you can look at the uh, statistics and it shows you where the listeners are from. And I think we have listeners from pretty much every single state. So again, if you're listening to this and you want to get a hold of Justin, um, I, he'd love to talk to you about it. I know that for a fact. Um, you know, one of the one of the things that Big Shoots always likes to ask people is about a mantra. Like if you have a mantra that you live by, do you have anything like that rolling around your head? I like to. Um... A lot of people say do unto others. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like to do unto others before they have a chance to do unto me. I like to, I like to like in all ways pay it forward through consideration and taking things. I, I really, uh, some people don't know they, they have a problem, but they don't know that this problem is more ubiquitous than they think. They don't, they don't know that this problem um, can be automated, that the solution can be automated somehow, some way, or, you know, I, I build a lot of land surveying websites and, you know, getting traffic. They don't realize that putting a website up, if you build it, they will come. They don't realize it's a cabin in the woods with no road cut to it, no pool, no furniture. They just expect people to come. But when you help a surveyor get his get his phone ringing, and yep. their livelihood changes, then they realize that this was just another level of something that they didn't realize was baked into the problem. And uh, making you know, I, so in my mantra, I just always I tell a joke first, and I and I always uh, do unto others, and uh, and for that reason, forty two years old, I don't have any enemies and i really you know i just really like to anticipate what somebody might need in a certain situation and come across with it and that's just how i've made a living for 15 years yep yep give to get that's one of my favorites that's my favorites and that's basically what you just described and uh uh you're awesome and i I appreciate everything you've done not only for the survey community growing with you guys with this you know oh yeah no there's a lot of a lot of good things ahead of us there's no doubt about it is there anything we haven't touched on that you want to make sure that you know you want to say or do we do we we capture it for now we'll have you on again for sure because there's a lot more for us to talk about 
I just want I probably just want to say that um Fur Bears may not fully realize this, but we are stronger together. And uh the more we can uh take a moment to share a photo and tell about the photo, <coughs> a moment and share a video and tell about the video and describe. People don't understand the significance of like how important it is to describe what is going on in that photo or that video because it all, every piece of content becomes an opportunity for someone else to learn from you. You know, even if it's just, you got a picture of, of a cow and your GPS set up in Texas. Well, you know, this is what a Texas ranch looks like. And this is what it looks like. Can you picture yourself here? I mean, all day long, I'm seeing people picturing themselves elsewhere. And that, that really uh, drums up a, a different kind of enthusiasm. So I just want to say that I think uh, when land surveyors are united, the public is going to have a better idea of what you do. You're going to be worth more in the future. You're going to be worth more to your peers and colleagues today just by sharing something and being part of it. And then when you're gone, you will have left a legacy. And, you know, it, it doesn't have to be complicated. But, uh, you know, if you're pumping your stuff through Facebook all day, it gets pushed down, pushed down. You never see it again. But if you put it in Land Surveyors United, it's there forever. It's categorized and searchable. And so it becomes a learning experiment all the time. But um, that's just, that's my two cents. I'm going to keep this thing going until I'm, till I'm gone. And then hopefully I'll hand it on off to someone who's as passionate about trying to, I'm tired of the conversation about surveying going away as a profession. I'm tired of that. I've been tired of it for 14 years. You know, surveyor, surveying only dies when you allow it to. Yep. And it's not going to be replaced by anything. Yep, very well said, man. I appreciate that. I look forward to working with you um, oh. to see where we can take, you know, Lanceviers United, the Geoholics. I mean, this is a great partnership. And again, thank you for everything you've done for us. Always. And uh, hopefully you'll come on again. I'm going to come out and see you guys in real life here soon. I hope you do, man. Oh, let's not forget, Marcus King is a friend of yours, right? Marcus King's dad, Marvin King, who I want to give a special shout out. Apparently, I've gotten some notice that Marvin has possibly contracted the coronavirus. And Marcus, I mean, Marvin is kind of like my uncle because my dad and Marcus grew up together. And uh, when I was a little kid, Marcus is, I mean, uh, Marvin's band, the Fresh Licks, uh, used to play across the street from my house. But Marvin, being his son, has always been, uh, I've just followed his whole career. My dad was his biggest fan, so. Wow. That's so cool. Awesome, awesome. Well, thanks again, man. And uh, thanks again to uh, COVID-19 for social distancing. This worked out really well. <laughs> All right, man, let's not forget to, uh, if you want to check us out, go to uh, thegeoholics.com, follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, LinkedIn, of course. We're up to about 260 members on our LinkedIn page, so uh, just visit that and uh, request to join. We'll let you in, of course, and download all our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you're interested in being a guest on the program, we're booking into the end of May right now, but you can send us an email at info at and you can also email us at that same address if you want to be a friend of the program. With that, let's have Marcus King take us out with his song, The Well. 
available on Spotify and Apple Music. Be sure to check out Marcus' latest release titled El Dorado and go to the website, his website, MarcusKingBand.com. Until next time, everybody, support local and watch out for everyone. Thanks again to our friends of the program. Please be sure to check out Land Surveyors United at LandSurveyorsUnited.com, Unifly at Unifly.arrow, Bad Elf at Bad-Elf.com, and Parkland College at Parkland.edu forward slash surveying.